This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. bit about what to do with your remains when you die. We've had discussions about being buried. We've had discussions about being cremated, which is rising in popularity for a multitude of reasons. We've had discussions about human composting, which is becoming legal in more and more states, which uh, my wife now wants to do, apparently. One of the things that we haven't discussed in a while is something very creative, very futuristic, that is sending your remains to space. Well, after an eight-month delay, a rocket will finally release into deep space the remains of 330 people from all walks of life, including, this is real, it's not a joke, not shtick, including George Washington, former president of the United States. All in all, there's four presidents there. I believe it's Washington, Kennedy, Eisenhower, and Reagan. And Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry. The Texas-based company that's doing this, they're launching today. Actually, they're launching in 10 minutes from Cape Canaveral in Florida. Unless there's been any delay, we'll look at that. This marks the first time... Ten minutes from now, human remains will be released on the moon and beyond by a commercial company. So this two-stage Vulcan Centaur rocket will first drop 62 of the one-quarter and half-inch long titanium capsules filled with DNA or cremated remains on the moon in a six-foot-tall, eight-foot-wide device called the Peregrine Peregrine Lunar Lander. It's going to become essentially a permanent memorial on the moon. The spaceship will then take the remaining 268 capsules over 185 million miles into deep space where they will orbit the sun forever. That's the word, according to the CEO of this company, Charles Chafer. This The celestial payload is going to be filled with all sorts of luminaries. So as I mentioned, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Washington, Reagan, an anonymous donor contributed hair samples from uh, those former presidents. There will also be partial remains of late Star Trek cast members, Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant Uhura, 
uh, James Doohan, who played Scotty, and uh, DeForest Kelly, who obviously played Dr. McCoy. The mission is also going to send the show's mastermind, Gene Roddenberry, and his wife and actress, Majel Barrett Roddenberry, into deep space. Now, if you're not a... Look, if you're a Star Trek fan and you know this, then just pardon me. But Majel Barrett Roddenberry is really an incredible part of Star Trek history. She's the voice of the computer on the original series and on The Next Generation. I mean, think of how often you hear the computer's voice and how integral that is. And uh, she also was the voice of the computer in several of the films. But she was the original first officer, number one, in the original Star Trek pilot with Jeffrey Hunter, uh, The Cage, which is really quite good. I mean, you know, I think ultimately Shatner's a better captain, but but it was a good pilot. I mean, there's a reason that NBC had them produce a second pilot. In addition to that, she played Luoxana Troy, Deanna Troy's mother, on Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, and in the original series, she played Nurse Chapel. So she's had five or six huge, not 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 significant, huge contributions to Star Trek fandom. So Gene Roddenberry's going up there. Four presidents are going up there. And a bunch of other folks that aren't necessarily household names. Uh, there's a sculptor and painter by the name of Louise Cache, uh, who died at the age of 87 in 2013. And she was deeply fascinated by space exploration and obsessed with NASA. And I, um, you know, it's very interesting. How much do you think it costs to have your remains shot up into space? I have to tell you, given the costs of burial and things of that nature, it's pretty reasonable. Even my wife was shocked at how affordable it was. So if you want to orbit deep space in perpetuity, that doesn't come cheap. That's just under $13,000. Less permanent send-offs, such as a suborbital flight, which comes back to Earth, that and then your remains are returned to your family, that goes about $3,000, and to orbit around the Earth, that costs about $5,000. So the mission was uh, previously scheduled to launch on May 4th, 2023, but it got delayed for some logistical reasons, and now they're going to be launching in about six minutes. Here is the uh, CEO of this company, Celestis, Charles Chafer. We have 500 guests here this weekend who are all going to witness the initial launch of the Vulcan Centaur rocket. On board that is the what we call the Enterprise flight. And it will make its way out 300 million kilometers to a heliocentric orbit. What that means is we're basically going to be another planet. We're orbiting the sun and uh, we'll be there forever. You know, I like. I kind of like the idea of this. I mean, if it's just a hair sample, if you could still do whatever you want with your remains on this Earth, and then you could send your DNA out to orbit the sun, I kind of like that. I mean, I don't have the spare $13,000 to do it right now, but if I did, if I was flush, why not? Why not? I absolutely would. I've uh, always thought that it was, I thought it would be very funny for a movie if aliens discovered these capsules and then they assume, they see that it's the remains of humans or the DNA of humans. And that, look, these are aliens. They have very advanced technology. And they assume these are the most important people in our planet's history. 
and they bring to life everybody whose DNA, they clone them, basically. We're using that DNA, and you get a new Kennedy, a new Eisenhower, a new Washington, a new Reagan, and um, all, along with the Star Trek cast. And then all of a sudden, using the alien technology, the presidents try to come back to Earth and regain their power. I, I tried to have Chat GPT write a fun version of this, either as a short story or a movie. And I have to be honest, they were all kind of lame. It's not even worth repeating, but I, I wish somebody would uh, would do that, a human rather than AI. So I thought, um, so that's kind of cool. I, I think that's kind of cool. Would you want to have your remains go to space? Why or why not? 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Now, there's a little bit of a problem. The Navajo Nation... Yes, the American Indians. They're trying to ground this. And look, at this point, it looks like they've been unsuccessful because this is scheduled to launch in four minutes. But the Navajo Nation is trying to ground the first commercial burials in space. Why? They're insisting that the plan to memorialize humans on the moon will turn a a place that is sacred to native religions into a waste site. The moon. So the Biden administration stepped in on Friday uh, to defuse the, you know, the conflict here, according to CNN. They called a hasty White House meeting ahead of the launch. And basically they said that, um, you know, I, I don't know where this goes, but the Navajo president, Boo Nigren, said the moon holds a sacred place in Navajo cosmology. The suggestion of transforming it into a resting place for human remains is deeply disturbing and unacceptable to our people. Uh, The Navajo spokesman said, we're turning the moon into a graveyard and we're turning it into a waste site. You know, I mean, look, I think it's a little ridiculous because they don't own the moon. The Navajos don't own the moon. But I get what they're saying is maybe, you know, for people that have a lot of reverence for the moon, maybe you don't want to send human remains there. So it doesn't look like the Navajos are going to be successful in stopping this. And um, according to the CEO, the memorial on the moon is going to be handled with care and reverence. He said, and I agree with it, no one and no religion owns the moon. I agree. I agree. But so you're going to have the six foot eight. Uh, the six foot tall, eight foot wide lunar lander dropping 62 sets of human remains packed separately in these titanium capsules. So I'm curious if this is something you'd want to do. 800-848-9222. Here is Eugene Roddenberry. He's the son of Gene Roddenberry and Major Barrett uh, Roddenberry talking about how his parents are really going to the final frontier. My mother uh, made uh, Charles promise that when she passes, she wanted her ashes and my father's together to not just go up and and orbit, but to be launched out into space. So finally, Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, would truly go where no one had gone before. Is that something you'd want to do? I kind of, I don't know. I don't know. I um, Look, I I wouldn't spend $13,000 for it. But if uh, I got to go for free, as it sounds like Gene and Major Barrett Roddenberry got to go, why not? And I'm also curious what you make of the attempts by the Navajo Nation demanding that NASA stop this launch, bringing human remains to the moon. I, um, 
honestly, I don't see any anything to it. I don't see how they can try to claim. I, again, they're not saying they own the moon, but they're saying the moon is sacred to them, which I get. But come on, it's everybody's moon. My moon, your moon, everybody's moon. You can't just stop people from littering it with with human remains, right? If anybody disagrees, by the way, we'll put you to the front of the line. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. You know, it'll be something if this does get cheaper, and it'll be something if if this becomes far more common. So right now, these people that are doing this today, right now actually, they're the only people that have had their remains shot into space that we're aware of. Uh, putting aside Spock in uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And we saw how that worked out for him. But putting aside the fictional portrayals, this could be, in the near future, very affordable. Would you want to get shot there? And what's going to happen? You know, we've already chronicled the issues with space junk. I'm wondering if you're going to see space get littered with the remains of people living on this planet. So, uh, yeah, this they're apparently just moments away from this uh, lunar lander. So the Navajos have not been successful in uh, in stopping this. Hey, can we listen in on the audio, uh, Tony? Can you try and pull up the, the, the audio live of, uh, of what they're doing? Do, do what you can here. It looks like they're T-minus 10 seconds away, 9, 8, 7, 6, Five, four, three, two, one, and they have ignition and liftoff, and the first United Launch Alliance Vulcan rocket launching a new era in space has launched a flight to the moon and beyond with human remains and all. Uh, let me let me know if we're able to give a listen to any of this. I don't know if NASA has any of this on their website. I, I love space launches like this. I love being on the air. While they're uh, while they're going on, but uh, I think it's uh, I think it's a really a really neat thing. Uh, again, I wouldn't spend thirteen thousand dollars for it, but if I got to do it for free, why not? So um, this is the lunar lander has launched and it is on its way to the moon, and all indications are things are going okay. There's good hydraulic pressure on both engines, and everything is looking good. By the way, Dr. Sky is going to be here on Wednesday morning, so we'll get into this uh, in a little bit with him as well. Norman in Brooklyn, do you want your uh, remains launched into space? No, Frank. I don't I, I don't want my remains launched into space. I don't want it put, being put in the ground, and I generally don't want it to be burned up unnecessarily. Um, I, I believe we are put on this earth, Frank, to help people and to give even after death. I have a donor card. Uh, all my remains will be given to people, my corneas for people that need to see again, my skin for people that have uh, burns and things. Everything will be given to science. The rest will be burned up and disposed of. And that's well, it. When it's I disposed just, of, I, where I is think, it disposed? Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe a sprinkled in front of WABC. Um, but basically nothing, nothing will be left Everything will be given to people that need um, the well, that's funeral great. industry. That's great. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's the station we're on in New York. If people listening around the country um, that that uh, Norman mentioned, I uh, you know I mean look, I think you could still do all that and take a, a hair follicle or two as they're doing with President Kennedy 
President Eisenhower and President Washington. There's no reason you couldn't uh, donate all your organs and then save a piece of hair to go to the moon. Uh, I don't see I don't see any contrast with this in all. But this is a big deal. Aside from uh, carrying these remains, this is the first U.S. lunar lander in decades to um, to head to the moon. So this is a pretty big deal. And it's carrying equipment that's going to gather data for all sorts of future moon missions. So it's, it's a lot of interesting stuff here. Again, we'll get into the science of it with, uh, with Dr. Sky on Wednesday. I'm curious of where you are in the ethical, ethical aspect of it with the Navajos trying to say that you shouldn't be able to put things on the moon. And if you would ever want this for yourself and... Honestly, I mean, I don't know that it's that crazy of an idea that some alien civilization, if something is orbiting the sun forever, could pick up some of these DNA samples and clone them. I mean, don't you think if there's an advanced technological civilization that they'd be capable of cloning humans based on their DNA? I kind of do. And I'm wondering what what a George Washington or a John F. Kennedy would think. If they got to look at the world and the solar system in the 21st century, one wonders. 800-848-9222. Four open lines if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. Jimmy, what's on your mind, Jimmy? Hi, Frankie. How are you? Good. Frankie, I don't understand. I mean, I'm Italian. You know what I'm saying? We do two weeks in the funeral parlor. We have the buffet and everything afterwards. Now, who wants to send a fingernail, a piece of hair, or whatever you want to send up there? What happens when the holiday comes? You know, uh, we got to put the blankets on the grave. How do I get there? <laughs> well, I mean, look, as I was saying to Norman, you could still be buried on your grave and then just send a hair follicle up to uh, up to the orbit the sun or the moon. Manga bagab, I don't have that much hair to leave one hair follicle there. I want people <laughs> to make me see how I look good in the casket. You know what I mean? Duly noted, Jimmy. All right, so it's, All right. it's not for you, I guess. <laughs> Not at all. I love you. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, Matt Blaze, what about you? Would you want to be uh, launched into space, your remains? I see no no point in any of it. All right. Well, I mean. I just it, don't. like. I'm, I mean, if I was alive, I wouldn't even want to go. Why do, what do I care if they send my dead skeleton to space? Well, because For it's what purpose? different. I don't know. It's just, it, it's a novelty. For who? I don't know. For for you, the decedent. I'm dead. What do I care? All right. Well, I mean, because what do we- I care what they do? I, I cremate me. When my father died, he said this to me. He goes, "I don't care what you do." He goes, "I don't want to be buried. I want to be cremated. After that, do whatever you want. Sprinkle me on your lawn." Well, why did he even care about that? Me up. Then? That's all he said. He's like, "I'm dead. I don't care what you do." Fair enough. That was it. All right, Tony. What about you? You sending your remains to space? No. Yeah, all right. Well, I guess I'm alone in thinking that there's something kind of cool about this. Um, uh, what What are your plans for your posthumous arrangements? This bury me normal. But you, so you want to be buried? Yeah. And yeah. Matt plays. You're cremated. I'm not sure yet. I'm oh, you're still, not sure. I'm still thinking about. You got. You better know. get 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 thinking about that. Do you know something you, that we don't? You know? never yeah, know. I was no, say. <laughs> no. You <laughs> just never know. Yeah, no. You never. Everybody thinks. You know, it's Shatner has a song about this. You'll have time. Everyone thinks they got all the time in the world, and then they don't. That's the thing. You know, um, I, I, um, I've said that I'd like. You know, I'm going to donate uh, my everything as well as uh, as Norman is. But I've said I'd love to have my head frozen like Ted Williams, and then be revived when I can be brought back. 
I think that would be wonderful, right? I mean, give everything away except my head, put the head on ice, and then bring me back. But uh, I think this, honestly, I think this could launch a whole new industry of a different type of posthumous space tourism. I think it's pretty cool. All right. Uh, We're going to talk Garfield Entertainment and more with Mark Evanier in just a minute. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is Mystery Train by the great Elvis Presley. Today would have been his birthday. Uh, We'll chat a little bit more about Elvis uh, a little bit later. He was born on this day in 1935, and he is one of only a handful of entities in really the modern era that you could just say one name and you know exactly who you're talking about. Elvis. Cher, Bono, Garfield? In the case of Garfield, nobody is talking about the president. A lot to learn about that president, James Garfield. Everyone in the world is talking about the cat. And it's true. Garfield has existed on in comic strip form for many years. He's an integral. I was reading the comics today because I'm one of the people that still gets the uh, newspapers. And there was a fun Garfield comic in there. But to me... What made me a fan of Garfield was one of the most iconic Saturday morning television shows of all time. It was in the 80s, Garfield and Friends. I cannot believe they did the sort of things they did on that program. The show was not only funny... 
But even when I go back and watch episodes to pull a clip from the radio or something, it still holds up today. And it's funny, not just for children, but it's funny for adults. They make jokes about double entendres. You know, we did this uh, whole show about procrastination recently, and you have these characters on a Saturday morning cartoon show kind of alluding to the fact that they're talking about procreation. They keep saying, oh, you can't talk about that on television. The show is hysterical. I, for some reason, I don't think this show has gotten its just desserts in the pantheon of animated programming that was way ahead of its time. If you have not seen Garfield and Friends, you are missing out. Here we are, entrance to mall. Level 8 full, use level 9. This section, theater parking only. There doesn't seem to be a space on this level. I'll try one up. Wake me when you find a space or we stop for gas, whichever occurs first. This is my space. I made it. Please remember you are in aisle K, level 17, blue section. Aisle K, level 17, blue. Better write it down. I know you think I should write it down, but when I get a fact in my head, you know what happens to it? It dies of loneliness. Wave goodbye to the car, Odie. We'll never see it again as long as we live. The thing that's amazing about Garfield is the the segments were so highbrow, so interesting, so intellectual. People are not only still talking about them to this day, but they're legitimately inspiring conspiracy theories to this day. Have you heard the conspiracy theory that there's no state of Wyoming? Well, that is, and I'm not joking here, that is a conspiracy theory that was born out of an episode of Garfield. I am just thrilled uh, to be joined by Mark Evanier. He is a comic book and television writing legend, known for his work on many different comics, many different TV programs, including, though, the animated television series Garfield and Friends. Mark, it's great to have you on the program. Thanks for staying up late with us. Thank you for pronouncing my last name correctly. You're the first person who ever interviewed me on the radio who did. Well, hey, Mark, I, uh, I I get paid the big bucks for a reason. You see, I mean, I'm no amateur here. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, all right. Now, the tricky part is, I almost called you uh, Mayork. I almost mispronounced your first name. That was the tricky thing. Hey, uh, Mark. So, for people that aren't familiar with your history, uh, I know you grew up in California. One of the rare people to grow up in Los Angeles and then work there professionally. I know your dad worked for the IRS. How do you go from being the son of an IRS man to being a, a writer? What made you want to be a writer? Well, the problem was my father hated his job. He, it was, he had the worst job in the world, and he was a Depression-era kid, and depression, a lot of Depression-era kids grew up to take any job you could get because the most important thing was to feed your family and have a paycheck on Friday, and that was the job he got stuck with. So when I was about six, he sat me down and he said, Mark, I want you, whatever you want to be in this world, go after anything, do anything you want in this world, as long as you love it. And I said, I think I want to be a writer. And he said, do you have a second choice? And <laughs> I said, no. And, and that's where I went. And, and so I just started writing the thing. I enjoyed writing. And uh, I stumbled into, I, read, I grew up on comic books. I read every comic book that ever existed. I had them all memorized. I, I, had the, I was watching TV all the time. One of my thrills in my life was I got to work with Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera 
who did my favorite cartoons, and with Jay Ward a little bit, who did my favorite cartoons when I was a kid, and I got to work with all the voice actors in those shows later on. Quite a few of them were on Garfield and Friends. I kept hiring people who did the cartoons of my childhood to do voices on the, on the show that I was uh, voice directing. You so, also just, you you also did a lot of live action uh, television as well, right? Didn't you write for Welcome Back right. Cotter among other shows? I wrote for I wrote for Welcome Back Cotter. I wrote for Love Boat. I wrote for the only unsuccessful sitcom that Bob Newhart ever did. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote an awful lot of variety shows. I wrote a lot of you know different. I just you know I just kind of would run around and whenever people wanted me to write, I'd write. And uh, when I, when I originally wanted to be a writer. I didn't really know what I wanted to be a writer of because there were a lot of options. And I thought, well, I'll settle for comic books or cartoons or live action TV or any of those things. And I eventually got to do all of them. And I had never thought that was possible. But uh, when I was a very young man, I was taken to see an episode of the Dick Van Dyke show being filmed live in front of an audience. And I said, oh, I want to do that. I want to be involved in a a TV show, and I, you know, twelve years later, I was story editor on Welcome Back, Cotter, and I went, "Oh my God, I made it!" You know, very strange. You know, as obviously as I alluded to, the uh, show Garfield and Friends has a special place in in my heart. How did you come to be involved with Garfield? Uh, I wrote a lot of different cartoon shows for Saturday Morning, and I was writing a lot for CBS, and uh, uh, they had me writing a pilot for a Michael Jackson cartoon show. This is back when he was kid-friendly the right way. And uh, the show wasn't working out. I, we had, I was, had to meet with Michael Jackson and discuss this with him, and I finally said, this show will never work, and mm-hmm. I, I basically moonwalked off the whole project. And <laughs> I owed CBS some money because I, I, I quit the show, and they said, instead of paying us back, we'd like you to write a pilot for a Garfield cartoon show for us. And I said, well, really? You want me to go meet with Jim Davis and talk about this? Because I love the comic strip. They said, no, just write us a script. Because at that point, the Garfield primetime animated specials were very successful. Garfield had a very high profile, and he was one of the few characters that had a very high rating with kids. They have this thing called the TVQ, where they Mm -hmm. measure... You know, have things, and he was one of the very few characters in the world that wasn't owned by Warner Brothers or Disney or one of the big conglomerates. He was available theoretically, but Jim Davis wouldn't do a Saturday morning show because Jim didn't think that anyone but he could write the the character, and he didn't have time to write in thirteen half hours a season of, of that. So they said, if we can find a writer that you like, will you let us do it? And he said, yeah, skeptically. So CBS commissioned this script from me. They sent it to Jim. And one day I get this call from Jim Davis saying, "Uh uh-oh, I guess somebody else is going to write Garfield the way I want it written. And that's what he agreed to do the show as long as I wrote all of them. Oh, really? That was that was part of the contract, yeah. I had to write all of the show episodes. Well, so I was just going to ask you about that, because obviously Jim Davis created Garfield as a comic strip character, and then you're uh, going in uh, another direction, putting him on television as a television character. How do you know that you're not going to, or how does he know, I guess, that you're not going to take Garfield, the character, in a very different place than where he's taking him in the comic strip? Was is there any kind of collaboration with stories or anything like that? 
Well, Jim had done these primetime specials, some of which won Emmys. They were very acclaimed, he, and he wrote those. So I had a template for how to do Garfield animation that he had set up. Then I flew, they flew me back to Muncie, Indiana, where Garfield headquarters were located, and Jim and I met and sat and talked for a couple of days about things and ideas and things. And then I started writing scripts and I sent them to him and he okayed this one and he okayed this one. And, and after a little while, he said, hey, don't bother even sending me the scripts anymore. Just go ahead and do it. Hmm. He, he, we, we, we were, it was clicking so perfectly with what he wanted. One of those, you know, I, I mean, I've worked for a lot of people where we never connected. We, you know, Stephen Sondheim used to say the most important thing on any uh, Broadway show is that everybody's doing the same show. Make sure everyone had the right, same, sure. going for the same thing. And Jim suddenly decided that we were going for the same thing. And so I did seven seasons of this show. Um, and CBS left us alone. There were almost, you know, you, you hear all these stories about the, the, the uh, standards and practices people and the pressure groups ruining Saturday morning television. And that was true when I worked for Hanna-Barbera before that. It was true when I worked for Ruby Spears before that. It was true when I worked for a lot of other cartoon studios. But on the Garfield show, CBS just said, do whatever you want, and they let us go. And I got no notes for, the, for, for seven seasons. Why did the series end? I, I thought that that could have the same kind of durability that a primetime animated series like, say, The Simpsons or Family Guy would. Why did it end after seven seasons? Well, a, the contract on a show like that, I don't know if they still do them that way, but that, that contract said that every season they had to pay more for the show and more for the show and more. And the, the price went up every year. And at some point we had, a, I think it was 121 half hours, and they were about to put them into syndication. And the CBS people said, well, listen, we're paying a fortune for this show. Since you're going to make all that money off the syndication of those episodes, we think you should lower the price that we pay mm. for new episodes. And Jim Davis and Lee Mendelson, who was one of the executive producers, the guy who put the whole deal together, and Phil Roman, who ran the animation studio that did the actual animation, and I, we all got together. And we said, no, let's not do that. Let's just... Let's just stop now. We can do another Garfield show a few years later if we want, maybe. But let's put those 121 half hours into syndication as opposed to deficit financing uh, the future episodes. It, it didn't become cost effective. One of the things that happens in the syndication of cartoons is that, is that they rerun very well. Mm. Most cartoon shows rerun better than live action shows because the kids don't get as tired of seeing the same episodes again. And because they don't date, there's nothing, there's no topical humor in them. They, they can run them forever. So, um, if we, it, it, basically, you know, the number one reason shows get canceled was money. It wasn't a good investment for this, for the show to make more episodes after a certain point, because it wouldn't enhance the syndication package. Any, we would get the same amount of money off, 150 shows that we got, we're getting for the 121 shows, right. and we we lose all that money on all on, on the you know the 31 uh, nine other shows we made or whatever. You you alluded to, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Mark Evanier. You check out his website; it's really interesting. It's called newsfrome.me.com. A lot of stuff on there, not just about uh, writing and uh, animation and Garfield, but a lot of different aspects of uh, not just entertainment but but life in general, and it's worth checking out newsfromme.com you alluded to oh, we can always come back and do Garfield as a future television 
Project. Now, you did that, right? You were then a part of uh, something called The Garfield Show, which I can't say yeah. that I have seen. What, what was that? Well, actually, before that, uh, they did a bunch of Garfield direct-to-video movies, which I was not involved with. Um, that was the next time that Garfield was animated and there were a few more primetime specials. I wasn't involved in those. And then a company in France decided that Garfield was rerunning so well around the world that it would be cost effective and smart to do a, a new Garfield show for the international market. And so we did that show. It was, it was written here by me and by some writers in France who I worked with. We recorded the voices here, and the show was then animated twice. Kind of, was, It was animated to, in Fran- to a French translation, and it was an animated to an English translation, the English, the, vo- the voices we did here. And it was sold all over the world, and countries all over the world had their option of either taking the French version, subtitling it, taking the English version and subtitling it, or redubbing the episode for their own native language. So it played, it was, it was, a, it was barely on in America, but it was a big show over, uh, around the world. Wow. And we did, we did like 200 half hours of that, which I, which I voice directed and story edited, and I was listed as a producer on it, although I did the same thing I always did when I wasn't listed as a producer. And... Um, that show was a little it was a little different because first of all we had to do it for the international market so I there's a lot of stuff we couldn't do I had much more freedom just doing it for America because you know suddenly I can't use puns I can't use sports I can't use American holidays I can't use references to things that are right, you know, right, very right. American and also because in the interim we'd lost Lorenzo Music who was the voice of Garfield on all on Garfield or friends Lorenzo had passed away and we had a few other cast replacements also over the years. And um, also the French people, you know, understandably, since they were funding the show, had certain elements they wanted in the show. So it's a fun show. I preferred Garfield and Friends. Oh, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, that's, come on. I, I can't imagine any anything compares uh, to that. I mean, Garfield and Friends is the is the is the measure by which all other animated uh Saturday morning cartoons can be can be measured. Um you know No I, no no no, no no it isn't. No, <laughs> no it isn't. I, Come I on. appreciate the compliment I, but I disagree with Saturday morning shows. You know what? I don't. I don't agree with you because I mean, and not to disparage any other shows that you worked on, but a lot of Saturday morning cartoons they're they're more corny than than clever. They're um, not entertaining for anyone who's I don't know over the age of seven, at least in my experience trying to watch them. Garfield and Friends does transcend age you have you alluded to the music you do have these great musical numbers uh the abu dhabi song which i still play on the radio yeah you have these uh great sketches oh with... I, I guess i guess i do some ASCAP money i wrote that song okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, no no i wasn't necessarily disparaging the other shows i worked on i was uh, the other show before garfield friends i worked on a lot of different shows and with the pride you take I took in those shows was these came out pretty good considering all the obstacles we had. In other words, no, this was not the show I would have done if I had complete freedom, but it was when we managed to, to overcome a lot of the negative, the, the shows I did for Hanna-Barbera were, 
I felt they were better than some of the things that were coming out of Hanna-Barbera. That was the pride you could take in something mm-hmm. like that. You could say, well, this one's a little funnier. This one's got a little better voice work in it. This one's got, you know, because they were such an assembly line situation there. And you had all these things, these problems with the network interference. And it was, it was a network interference from the creative end. And it was network interference from the standards and practices. And there was a lady at, ABC for years that I had to keep mud wrestling with over uh, I was starting Richie Rich and she kept cutting all the jokes out of it and saying you can't do that you can't have the character say that and she was and usually the standards of practices people were just like hey we're just umpires we don't make the rules we just enforce them this woman was making the rules Mm -hmm. and she was on a holy crusade to launder Saturday morning television the way she felt it should be for the tiniest kids it wasn't that she wasn't even. Uh, she was she was upset if we were aiming at ten year olds. She wanted us to aim at seven year olds, um, and uh, you fought, you fight those things. And Garfield was like an oasis for me because, like I said, standards and practices left us alone. Right. So why do you, why do you think the, they left you alone on Garfield, whereas uh, other shows like Richie Rich and others w- didn't get that same degree of freedom? What was so special about Garfield? Well, in this case, it, was, it wasn't just Garfield. CBS had a lady running it at the time named Judy Price. And she's also the person who put on the Muppet Baby show, which was an excellent show. Mm. She put on Pee Wee's Playhouse. She put on a Saturday morning show with Richard Pryor that I wrote some episodes for. She put on a lot of stuff. She, was, she had a lot, of, a lot of guts. She had a lot of courage. She stood up these people. And, you know, she didn't fold if they got five letters of complaint. You know, I mean, you're on the radio. You 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 get nutty letters occasionally. Oh. People complaining about things you say. Daily, or do. daily. Imagine what you would do if they if they the people who give you orders, people who hire you, were telling you, well, we got one letter, you can't do that anymore. Right. We got two letters about this, you can't do that anymore. That's what we were up against on Saturday morning, a lot, and uh, because it was for the kids, people were super sensitive, and because there were a few people there who just had this this vision of what the television should be more what's more educational and wholesome than it is and uh, judy didn't care about it she just wanted to put on shows people wanted That's to watch wonderful how refreshing are yeah. you familiar with that wyoming doesn't exist conspiracy theory that i alluded to a few <laughs> yes. minutes ago yeah yes i i found out about it fairly recently um and uh uh, I think it's true. I don't think this is no. <laughs> the the uh, um, it was just something that popped into my brain one day, and I picked Wyoming because I realized I'd never met anyone from Wyoming. Mm-hmm. That was the, the the total thing behind it, and I was just picking something that was ridiculous and outrageous. It's you know, it's like um, you know the defense you hear from some politicians these days. You know, no, I'm I'm not. That's not a lie because I knew no one would believe it. Right. You know, you, you should have you should have known that I, that that wasn't true. You know, it's it's. Uh, so you uh, you do believe you know. you're a Wyoming truther. You do believe Wyoming exists. <laughs> I believe Wyoming. I I have since met people from Wyoming. Oh, okay. Time, right. Okay. One of the one of the things that I think managed to make that have a, some legs to it is that that Garfield was it, it, we we did a fake TV show on the Garfield show, which Garfield was the host of. And he was saying this idea, we, if we said it on television, it must, it be, must true. be true. Right. Okay. So the announcer I hired to be the announcer for Garfield's little show was Gary Owens. 
who people all remember as the voice of Space Ghost. He was a great radio personality, and he was the most sincere human being alive. If Gary Owens told you that it was that uh, you know the moon was made out of oobleck, you would believe him. He just had such a sincere voice, and I think that may have contributed to it. But uh, um, you know, you 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 go along and you think, well, everyone will understand this is a joke. And every so often, not everybody does. That is incredible. You might be the uh, only person that can answer this question. I guess maybe students of your work can also. But the only person I've talked to that can answer this question. What does the E stand for in Wild E. Coyote? <laughs> I'm being interviewed tomorrow by a guy who's writing a book on the history of the Roadrunner cartoons about that. Uh, I was writing the Roadrunner comic book in 1972, I think it was. And I was just trying to think of an idea for a funny story. And I decided, let's do a story about what the E stands for on Welly Coyote. And I didn't intend it to be to last any longer than that six-page story. I, I just, it was, the joke was, I, I said it was Ethelbert. Stood for Ethelbert. Everybody was Ethelbert. laughing at this. While Ethelbert Coyote. I like it. If I'd known it was going to catch on, I would have had it say Evanier, because then <laughs> I'd get the publicity. But it was something that I thought would just, Again, it would just last for six pages. Somebody would chuckle at it, and then it would be forgotten. And one day, someone called me up, and they said, you know, it was a question on Jeopardy last night. And it was really, it was honestly, a, they had a question on, on, on Jeopardy, what Wiley e. Coyote's middle initial was. And I, if, I, if I'd been a contestant, I wouldn't have answered that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, you know, again, something had a, a life that I didn't anticipate it ever having. So, What are you working on uh, now, Mark? Anything that people can look forward to? Well, I'm doing, I do this comic book called Grew the Wanderer with my best friend in the world, a man named Sergio Aragonis. And we love doing this comic, and we're doing some projects uh, that I, I'm not at liberty to talk about, but it, it will take Grew into some new areas. Great. But, um, you know, I'm doing that, and I'm writing a book on Jack Kirby, who was my mentor in the uh, comic book business. I'm writing a pilot for a, a TV series that has nothing to do with anything I've ever done before. I'm writing, um, what else am I writing? I'm writing a bunch of silly little things. I'm writing a lot of biographies, slowly but surely. Um, and I'm editing, I'll tell you the book that I feel like people to look for, and I don't make a nickel off this, really, is we're reprinting the Pogo newspaper strip, which was my hmm. all-time favorite comic strip in the world. And it had never been fully reprinted in dig with any dignity. I think it was the greatest newspaper strip ever done. Um, and uh, we're now, I think we're putting volume nine to press um, in a couple of weeks. Uh, well, that's terrific. And they come out. And, and I, I, I'm the editor of that series, having inherited the, um, the job of it from my late girlfriend, who was Walt Kelly's daughter. Walt Kelly created the strip. His daughter, Carolyn and I were an item for 20 years and we started doing these books together and she passed away and I inherited the job of being the editor mm. of it. I was never more proud to inherit something and well, uh, be able to do it, do it, do it, do it to, to commemorate the strip and to carry on her dream project. That is uh, terrific. I'm sorry about her, her passing, but uh, what a great way to uh, keep up her legacy. All right. We've been talking with Mark Evanier. You can check out his website, newsfromme.com. Mark, I could talk with you all day. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope you'll come back. Anytime you want me. 
Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mark Evanier. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. If today was not in this highway, if tonight was not if tomorrow wasn't such a long time, then lonesome would mean nothing to me at all. The great Elvis Presley is singing Tomorrow is a Long Time. You know, there are so many great Elvis songs, and you know, that's what's so amazing about Elvis Presley is for somebody that uh, died at such a young age and could have had literally decades worth of hit after hit after hit after that, the incredible volume of music that he left us with in a very short amount of time, it's, it's just staggering. And, you know, you're going to listen to the radio today. You'll hear a lot of great Elvis songs. People play Love Me Tender. People play Heartbreak Hotel. They'll play Jailhouse Rock. Uh, they'll play uh, That's All Right With Mama. I try to play the Elvis hits that you don't hear everywhere, especially on his birthday. So I'm a big Elvis fan. In tribute to Elvis, not only do I, have I grown his sideburns, but I have grown his waistline. That's true. So, I, you know, that, that um, speaking of sideburns, we took Carmine for his third haircut on Saturday. The first two did not go well. The first two, he cried and was not at all a happy camper. And we've been trying to hype him up for this third haircut for a while now. And he seems, you know, he seemed like he was excited about it. Well, not excited, but he keeps kept saying he was going to cry. But he said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I will tell you how this went in just a moment. I'll also bring you this week's commendations. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.